Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take your Bibles out because we're going to hear God speak. Preaching is a very difficult thing. It's very hard. It's not an easy, it's very complex to preach because we don't want the words of man, yet you'll hear my words, but you'll hear God's words, right? And it's very complex. It's very interesting and mysterious dynamic. So we need the Holy Spirit to be able to fill us and open our eyes and help us understand the text of Scripture. Amen? Take your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to begin a new series that I'm titling Civil War. Civil War. First chapter, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at verses 10 down to verse 17. Has anybody been in the Word of God this past week in your own private time? Word of God, readers studying the Word in it? I'm going to encourage you to do that. We start our harvest groups this week, and you'll see some details. Emails are being sent out about the structure of our harvest groups and what we call pulpit curriculum. And so uh, this is going to be a chance for you to write notes and really take the Word of God and put it in you maybe a little bit further than you might get right now. And so I'm excited about this four-part series that I'm titling Civil War. We're going to do this for the month of November. We're going to look at four different battlefields, believers that will face in their lifetime, and, and, and they'll fight. And, and I believe with all of my heart that we can win on these battlefields. And we need to win. The Bible says that we triumph in Christ always. It doesn't say we triumph in Christ some of the times. It says we triumph in Christ. What's the word? Always. And so uh, if we're being defeated on a regular basis, it's not the problem with God. There's no problem with God in that. The problem is lying somewhere with us. Maybe a disobedient heart. Maybe a hard heart. Maybe a habitual pattern of something that you don't want to give up. Maybe it's a deep insecurity that you need Jehovah Rophi to heal you on. But it's never God. God causes us to triumph. Well, it's obvious where I got the title of our series uh, on the Civil War. For me, the Civil War became a, a little bit closer to home when I had a conversation with my grandmother many years ago, and she said that we were related to this guy right here. That's Ulysses S. Grant. Does anybody know what U.S. stands for? unconditional surrender. He was known as unconditional surrender Grant. In other words, when Grant went in, he was like, all right, we're going to win this thing. He had complete confidence and no fear when he took a battle. And so when my grandmother and I were having a conversation, she said, you ever heard of Ulysses S. Grant? I said, no, not really. I skipped that class too. It wasn't just math, but it was history. But uh, since that time, my interest in the Civil War has ramped up. I didn't know if you knew this, the Civil War lasted four years. In fact, it is the most studied and written about event in U.S. history, the Civil War. Up to a million casualties. Can you imagine a million people dying just in that short amount of of time? 237 named battles. Of course, when you saw my video, I was on a battlefield, uh, a battle named what? You didn't see the video? Gettysburg. How many people have ever been to Gettysburg? Raise your hand. How many people have lived in Pennsylvania have never been? Let's pray for you, all right? It's a great, great place. Very historic. It was wonderful to be up there. I've been there a couple, actually three times in my lifetime. This was the third time this past Monday with my wife. And so as I'm walking around that place of history, I'm thinking about Grant. I'm thinking about the Civil War. I'm thinking about battles. I'm thinking about our church and how our church needs to win on the battlefields of life. Amen? And that's what we're going to be looking at. John Keegan wrote a book called The American Civil War, and he said this, the American Civil War was to prove one of the most ferocious wars ever fought. You know, I I can really see that as I studied the Civil War. 
and as I've walked on the grounds, it's really quite interesting. There supposedly is 200 still uh, soldiers buried under a particular portion of Gettysburg, and that's where they died, and that's where they were buried, and so they have not moved those. And so as you walk around there and you drive around those roads, you're thinking, wow, what a ferocious war this was. What a battle. And I'm standing on these rocks overlooking Little Round Top on Monday, and I'm thinking, I couldn't imagine bullets flying by me and cannonballs going off and troops coming up the hill, and I'm going down the hill just to try to survive. And so I'm looking over those fields of history, and I'm thinking about battles and wars. You know, the Bible talks about warfare. The Bible talks about wars. Let me show you some verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says this, For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging, what is it? We're not waging war according to the flesh. How do you win a war, right? You win it by the flesh? Do you win it physically? Well, if it's a, if a war like Gettysburg, but we're talking about a different kind of war. We're talking about a spiritual war, right? And so you're not going to win a war in the spiritual dimension with the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Let me show you another verse. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, this is a battle. This is a civil war. Here's some other verses here. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I think I have one more. Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Now we're going to look at four different battlefields. Today we're going to look at the church can be a battlefield. You already saw your note and the title of that. We're going to also look at the conscience and how the conscience can be a battlefield. We're going to look at cosmic powers and spiritual warfare in our third week. I don't want you to miss any of these. It's important for all of you to be here. And then the fourth one will be the culture that we live in. All of those can be battlefields that we need to win on. The Bible does talk about warfare. It talks about us being a soldier. It talks about us winning. I've titled this message, When Your Church Becomes a Battlefield. So are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 yet? Verse 10 to 17. When your church becomes a battlefield. Watch James 4. I think I have that on behind. Watch this. This is what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now this is talking in the context of the church, the people of God. Is not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Church can be, and often is, a battlefield. Churches can be battlefields. I don't know about you, but uh, let me just ask you a question here. Have you ever been fired upon by another Christian? I mean, not literally with a gun or anything, hopefully, right? But with words. How many people have ever been fired upon by another believer with words? We would call that maybe in in military terms, friendly fire, right? And so friendly fire is a very real thing where people on the same side will shoot each other, maybe accidentally. I don't think intentionally. That would be awful. And so there's a lot of friendly fire. In fact, I have been hurt by Christians more than I've been hurt by non-Christians. Anybody with me on that? I've been hurt more personally by Christians than I've been hurt by a non-Christian when churches become a battlefield. We need to look at this. Churches are splitting. They're fighting over unbelievable things. Can I just share some of those with you? Listen close. Oh, no. Churches are battling. Here's a a church that battled over the length of the worship pastor's beard. We're Scott. 
he's got a little he's got a little scruff there. Is, is that too much? Are we going to battle over his? No, these are real. These aren't made up. These are real battles and fights that churches have had. Here's another one. Whether or not to build a child, a children's playground or a cemetery. How many people are in favor of a children's playground when you want to build something in your backyard, right? A cemetery? Really? Come on. These are going to get me fired up even before we start. Because <laughs> these are good preaching right here. To install restroom dividers in the women's restroom. That was a war in a church. That was a battle. Restroom dividers. Now listen, folks. I am all for restroom dividers. Amen? You go to someplace public, you're sitting there taking care of business, right? And I am glad for that restroom divider. And I will fight over restroom divider. If I'm going to fight over anything, I'm going to fight over that. Because I don't want to be sitting there, right? And the dude next to me, a couple of guys sitting there. I don't want that. I have crazy thoughts when I'm in restroom, uh, restrooms. So I praise the Lord for dividers. Here's one. A church battled for, for 45 minutes over whether the, file, the new file cabinet needed to be black or brown. A church struggled desperately and, and were in a real, real battle over which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby. Can I just remind you, there were no pictures of Jesus, right? And so I was raised Catholic, and we had this picture of Jesus, and I used to think, oh, there he is, Jesus. That really wasn't a picture of Jesus. We don't have a picture of him. And so these churches are really battling over that. Here's one. Here's a church that battled over the church budget. It was off by 10 cents. 10 cents. One guy took out a dime and he offered it. It's almost foolishness, isn't it? There's two more. A church battled over whether to use cran grape or regular grape juice. I guess cran grape would have been a little bit too intense, a little bit too worldly. I don't know. But this one was interesting. So a church battled and struggled and fought over should deviled eggs be allowed at the potluck? Deviled eggs. <laughs> this is like preschool. This is preschool that's happening in churches, folks, when this kind of thing happens. And so what we want desperately at Harvest Reading, and we're a healthy church, so far so good, right? And when it becomes about bathroom stalls and pictures of Jesus and deviled eggs, I don't know if I'll be able to handle that. There's more drama happening in Christian churches than Hollywood and Broadway put together, right? Right? Let me give you three. We're going into the text of Scripture out of Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. There are three. Here's how you know when your church has become a battlefield. Are you ready for this? And this is something that we need to look out for at Harvest Reading. We're, we're doing so well by the grace of God. God is growing us, and, and we're a healthy church, and nothing, nothing weird is, is happening. But I'm always on the lookout. I'm always on the lookout because when God brings us alive, the devil also comes alive. Watch that happen in your own life. Here's number one. You know your church has become a battlefield when it detours away from the gospel. That's number one. There's a detouring away from the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. It's in verse 10. I'm going to look at that with you. Listen, every destination begins with an intentional focus. In other words, if you've gone off track as an individual, if a church goes off track, and you'll see this where Paul's talking about the Corinthian assembly, they've gone off track because the centrality of the gospel is no longer important to them. And this opened the door for all kinds of 
battles and wars, a civil war, in fact. The gospel, what is the gospel? It's the life of Jesus. Sometimes we think the gospel is only him being crucified. It's much more than that. It's not just about Jesus being lifted up on a cross. It's about the life that he lived before he went to the cross. Then he goes to the cross and he dies and then he's buried and he's risen from the dead and that's part of the gospel. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father and that's all part of the gospel. So when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the life of Christ. And so now his life is incarnational, meaning he came to earth in human form. He walked in history, in space-time, as Francis Schaeffer would call it. It's true truth. It, it, it's, he was here. He put his feet on the dirt of the ground, and he walked, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again. And he's at the right hand of the Father. That's the incarnation of Christ. But listen, his life is still incarnational in and through us. I did a wedding yesterday for a dear couple in our church. And you know, my prayer is, my prayer is incarnational. God, I want the, incarn- the gospel to flow through me. I want the life of Jesus to flow through me to other people. Even now in this moment, pray for that. Pray that the life of Jesus, his gospel, is still flowing and moving through us. That's important for a church. And the Corinthians had gone sideways. Have you ever taken a detour and you ended up not where you thought? Anybody ever like that? And you're thinking, who's the dude that messed with the sign? You know, somebody could easily take one of those detour signs, turn it another way as a practical joke, and you're somewhere you didn't expect to be. You're trusting those signs, right? We take detours all the time. They can be very helpful or they can be very harmful. And so the Corinthians became, the Corinthian church became a battlefield. And it was all about the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. They had detoured away. I, I read about a church. They want to increase the numbers. Uh, it, gets really, it gets really ridiculous in evangelical Christianity, but uh, in some forms. And so this church wanted to increase the numbers. And so they thought, well, why don't we just have a, you know, one of those big boxing rings made or the big wrestling rings? I don't know if you ever watched WWF. Does anybody remember WWF, like Jimmy F- Superfly Snooker? Come on. Come on now. A few of us. And so WWF, so they put this ring in the auditorium, and then they had all the pastors that are on staff beat each other up. And they thought that we increased the attendance. Oh, it increased the attendance, all right. But not in a, not in a, in a biblical, Christ-centered, God-glorifying, trust-the-gospel-to-bring-people-in kind of way. There's another church I read about. I didn't attend it. It was out in California. And whoever brought the most visitors won a Harley Davidson, brand new. Brand new. I mean, just bring, I don't know how many, the most visitors, you get a Harley Davidson. Listen. You know what that is? That's a detour away from the centrality of the gospel and the power of the gospel to save someone. People ask all the time, so what's the secret of reaching Reading? It's the gospel. It's really believing it. It's really understanding that there's power in that. And so if you just go to somebody, you start giving the gospel, trusting the power of the gospel to save them, you're going to see the power of the gospel. But you don't want to go to them, hey man, do you want to come to church? There's a Harley Davidson you can win. That won't be Harvest Reading. It can't be. Because it opens the the door like the Corinthians struggled with, with all kinds, all kinds of battles. Verse 10, Paul said, I appeal to you. Look at it with your own eyes. Verse 10, I appeal to you. That word there is important. It's a word that Paul uses as he's standing before uh, Agrippa and some of the leaders. It's in Acts 25. You'll see him use the same word. I appeal to you. I'm calling on you for a response. I'm calling on you to do something. It's an appeal. He 
It's, re- it's, it's also used where Stephen is being stoned. You remember that? I think it's Acts chapter 8. And Stephen's being stoned, and it says that as he was being killed, he calls on the name of the Lord. He makes an appeal, and he says, Oh, God, don't hold this to their charge. May this sin not be to their charge. That's an appeal. And Paul's doing it to the Corinthians. And he's appealing to them. He's calling out to them, and he's saying, Listen, the road that you're going down is completely wrong. How many people have had teenagers that went down the wrong road? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Teenagers that went sideways, right? They went down the wrong road. Weren't you trying to warn them not to go down the wrong road? Weren't you saying, no, you don't want to go that way. You don't want to go that way. That's an appeal. I appeal to you, son. I know where that leads. I don't want you to go that way. I appeal to you, daughter. I don't want you to go that way. He's saying the same thing to the Corinthians because they're detouring. They're moving away from the gospel. He mentions brothers. It doesn't mean that it's just men or male, but that's a sibling. It's a reference to siblings or families. And he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you might want to circle name right there. By the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the gospel. Here's his life, the complete work of Jesus and all that he established while on earth. And when he went to the right hand of the father and He's coming back again. What Paul's going to do from here all the way to chapter 4, verse 21, is deal with all of these detours that the Corinthians would experience because the centrality of the gospel had been lost. They had moved away from the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what was happening. They started to concentrate too much on the external, the appearance of things. Isn't that what happens when you get to chapter 13 and 14 about the spiritual gifts? Hey, man, I spoke in tongues. What happened to you? because they're, they're looking at the external. They're trying to judge one another based on these things. I had a lady years ago, an older lady. She must have been 115 years old. She was old. And she said, Sonny boy, did you ever speak in tongues yet? And I said, no, ma'am. And then she looked down on me. I remember feeling that, like lesser of a Christian. That's a Corinthian problem. It's the same thing. And so it didn't intimidate me because I knew that God had saved me and he gifted me. If you wanted me to speak in tongues, I'll speak in tongues. Corinthians are struggling here. They lost the gospel. Notice this in the text here. That all of you would agree. Do you see that with your own eyes? That all of you would agree. There's a division that's happening. There's a division. I don't know if you've ever been part of a church split. Has anybody ever been part of a church split? Anybody? Wow. More than I thought would raise their hands on that one. Well, here's what's happening. There's a division in the Corinthian assembly, and Paul's going to address it. The whole book is written about all of that. And so it's really a civil war that's happening. I love the United States. <clears throat> I love the United States. I love what it stands for. I love what we believe. I really do. Church splits are abounding. I think I have a picture of this. I've got to show you this. Is there a picture of Third Baptist? Is it? There it is. Wow, Third Baptist. Now, this is interesting to me. I had a friend of mine who pastored a church up in Massachusetts. I said, what's the name of your church? He goes, Third Baptist of Third. I was like, what happened to the first and second? And so I'm thinking these thoughts, right? Oh, there were splits, and there were problems, and there were troubles. So the first became second, and then the second became third. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I'm trying to kind of not show something on my face like, man, that's just not right. But I found this picture here. And I look at this church. Third New Hope. (laughs) We're just hoping that this is going to be different so there's not a fourth Baptist and a fifth Baptist and a sixth Baptist and God is up in heaven going, what is wrong with you guys? Why do you guys keep dividing over everything? 
Why are these church splits happening? Why are the battles? I got to kick out of that. There's a division, Paul says. There's a division among you. And this is how the enemy attacks. He attacks churches. He attacks Christians. How many people you're married and you got in a little spat before you came to church? Okay, this is confession time. All right, good. Anybody else? Just one couple, right? People are like, I want to raise my hand on that. Do I have to? Do I have to? Who's behind all of that? You're saying my husband. (laughs) That's who's behind that. No, listen. Ultimately, who's behind that is the enemy. The enemy wants to bring division between married couples, between dads and sons, mothers and daughters, between Christians and churches and neighbors, and he's, he wants to divide. How many times, Lise, has the enemy tried to divide our relationship? In practical, simple, sometimes, lots of times, right? Countless times, she said. Anytime there's a division spirit happening, that is not your wife, ultimately. It's not your husband or your kid. It's the devil. It's the enemy. Don't miss, number three, cosmic powers. It's a battlefield that is going to be important to understand. But anyway, there's, there's these things happening in the Corinthian church, and they're dividing, and they're splitting. There's so many of these things happening in the Christian church. I don't know if you remember worship wars. Do you remember the worship wars? <laughs> you don't remember the worship wars? Wow, we're, music, style, content, all of that was called the worship wars. And, and, and so there was this progressive movement where people were like, you know what, they wanted to move away from hymns. And they wanted to be more current and contemporary. And so songs were being written. Chris Tomlin, this is even further back than that, like Maranatha and all those. And so you, you went from, you had this war between hymns and now contemporary worship. Scott's written, because he knows, even though he's so young, he remembers these worship wars. And they're still continuing. And there are groups that are dividing over this and they're fighting over this. And again, what does God think of this? Right? I think people have elevated hymns so high, and I love some of those hymns. Some of them I can't stand because I can't understand them. When they start talking about terrestrial balls and stuff, I'm like, what in the world is that? You know, so some I just don't like because they're not written so I can understand them. Does that make me like, oh, the unpardonable sin, you know, blasphemer of the Holy Spirit? No, no. You've elevated hymns, worship war so high. Listen, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to be like, okay, get the hymnals, get the hymnals. Where's the hymnals? We need the hymnals. He's not going to do that because there's not going to be any hymnals in heaven. It's going to be a better song than the hymnals. Better than what we do here. Does that make sense? Come on. Worship. People are fighting over this. Detours. Detours away from really matters. Listen, here's what really matters. The gospel. The gospel really matters. It's not all of these other things. It's Jesus crucified, buried, risen from the dead, sent it at the right hand of the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to live within you. That's what matters. Is anybody agreeing with me this morning? Can you get an amen on this? Yes. We're turning a little Pentecostal, aren't we? Woo! (laughs) Because this is the passion of my heart. It's more than that. It's the passion of God's heart, the gospel. Repentance unto life. Trust in Christ. Follow him. Live for his glory. He's coming back. And when he comes back, I just want to hear him say what? Well done. Chris, you did it. You're faithful. Number two, when a church becomes a battlefield, it decides for a lower view of Jesus. Number two, it's verse 11 and 12. It decides for a lower view of Jesus. 
This is, this is important to look at. There's Chloe's people. You'll notice this group. This, it's probably somebody in the, in the Corinthian church. They had a house church. Most churches, most all the time, met in houses. And so you had Chloe's household. You had some people connected to Chloe. I mean, it was a business relationship. We're not exactly sure. But Paul mentions uh, Chloe. And he's getting word. The, the musket fire had gone out. I mean, I could just imagine just in Gettysburg, just the, the, the loudness of the cannons and the muskets going off. And we were downtown having dinner at this it's nice restaurant after we had did some filming. And I can just imagine in the distance, because you're not that far from the battlefields, right? Just the loudness of all of that. Paul gets that and it comes through Chloe. And, and, and it's, it's ringing in his ears. And what's ringing is quarreling. There's quarreling in the church of Corinth. And it gets his attention. What had they done? Notice verse 12. You'll see these, I follow. Do you see this? I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so. Are you with me where the text is? Okay. This is, this is classic celebrity Christianity. This is happening today in large forms. People are dividing up. And Paul's like, what are you doing? It's about the gospel. It's not about me. Why are you elevating me so high? Why are you elevating Peter so high? Celebrity Christianity. You know what? <clears throat> we can do that when it comes to sports teams, right? Okay, so how many people are of the Eagles? How many people are of the Steelers? How many people are of the Miami Dolphins? How many people are of the Minnesota Vikings? How many people are the Philadelphia Phillies? Wait a minute, that's baseball. Hold on. You can do that in sports, but you can't do that in the church. It works in entertainment, it works in sports, it doesn't work in the church. It's, it's happening here. And so what's going on is that they're, they're, they're this lesser view of Jesus Christ and the elevation of man. And they're, they're making celebrities and they're following man. And they're not following Christ as they should. And Jesus is being lowered all the time. You're saying, is that happening in our church today? Here's a person, uh, you might, let me see if you know who this is. See if you can, you can guess who this is. Anybody know who that is? Mark Driscoll? Not too many people recognize Mark. Mark was the, the most downloaded preacher on the planet. Think about that. And so the most downloaded preacher on the planet at one time, he went through a whole lot of issues, church imploded, Mars Hill out in Seattle doesn't exist as Mars Hill anymore. It was just really sad. I followed Mark's ministry. In fact, Lisa and I went to a conference many years ago out in California called The Resurgence, and they wanted to know if there are any pastors that wanted to have a kind of close-up with Mark Driscoll. And so it was open to the first hundred pastors. And so, yeah, I, I said, I want to go in there. I want to see what they say. I want to hang out with the other pastors and stuff like that. And so when I got in there, I was amazed, man. I was amazed at how high they elevated Mark Driscoll. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that he wanted that. I'm not saying that these preachers that are well-known on the internet, they're on TV now. I think it's the nature of our culture. If you put somebody on the stage, you put a TV camera on them, our culture is designed, our Western culture is designed to elevate people too high, even preachers. And so people were flocking around Mark Driscoll, and I'm watching from a distance. That's just not my thing. That's not my and Lisa's thing. Uh, it, would not, it would not do good do Mark any, any good if I went up to him, can I have your autograph? Can I have your autograph? And that's what they were doing. Can I have your autograph? Think about that. It's like, what are we doing there? It's like man's getting elevated too high. It's not good for Mark. It's not good for me. And so these people were flocking around him. I said, Lise, look at that. 
This is unbelievable. And so God brought Mark through a very humbling process. And I just pray that he's a different man, and we're all different because God humbles us, right? The exaltation of man. And you know what? James McDonald's the same way. We're connected to Harvest Bible Chapel and James, and James and I have had conversation. You know, we text here and there. The last thing James needs from me is for me to elevate him so high. Don't elevate James high as a celebrity. Don't do that to him. He doesn't want that. It's the nature of everything. His church is 13,000. He has 200 churches that were planted. It's the nature. He doesn't want that. So look at James. Pray for James. Pray for Rick, the other ones that we're connected to that are very well known in this country. And just say, oh God, just please help them and bless them. That's what I pray for. The last thing that they need is for us to celebritize them. Don't do that. Don't do it to anybody. Don't do it to whoever you listen to. That leads to division. I think I have Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do I have that up here? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, these are the witnesses that there is no problem for us to to look at that and go, man, this is cool. They're in the stands watching us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's it say? Looking to who? Not another man. Not me. Not the other leaders that are coming. We will not save anybody. I can't save anybody. If you elevate a pastor too high, including myself, it's just not going to work. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. You're saying, you're, you're just you, man. Who are you? You don't have the most downloads on YouTube or anything like that. It happens, even in smaller contexts. And if you were behind the scenes with me, you would know that I battle with things and I struggle with things, just like anybody. Where was I? Somebody help me. Where was I, number two? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus. Look to Jesus. We have a pillar. I think that's going to be behind me too. Can we say it all out loud? Where's our pillar? Isn't that cool? Look at this. Everybody at the same time. Ready? Lifting high the name of Jesus through worship. Whose name are we lifting high? It's Jesus. Whose name are we lifting high? It's Jesus. It's not a pastor. It's not a preacher. It's not another man. Corinthians were doing that. They lowered Jesus. The battlefield. When that happens in a church, it opens the door. The door opens wide if we don't have a high view of God. This is why I'm such a big fan of the Puritans. If you're familiar with them or the Reformers, all those guys and those wonderful women back in those days, you know, in the the 15th century, 16th century, they had such a high view of God. Lifting high the name of Jesus. Number three, finally. When your church becomes a battlefield, it descends into a natural way of living. Verses 13 down to verse 17. I'm going to read these. We're going to go through this text. So follow along if you would. Verse 13. Is Christ divided, Paul says? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Again, centrality of the gospel, the elevation of Christ, his life, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Notice that. 
the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. Can I get, get you to go over to chapter 3 real quick? Chapter 3, just turn the page over there, and you'll see how Paul continues through this letter. Chapter 3, verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Are you with me there? But as people of the what? Of the flesh. Natural thinking. Natural thinking. Earthly thinking. Not supernatural, not heavenly thinking. So they're, they're actually, he can't even talk to them as spiritual people, but people of the flesh. And then he calls them what? What's it say after that? They're infants or children, right? Now, you're a grown person. If I came up to you and I said, listen, Tom, man, you're acting like a kid. <laughs> Would that be kind of offensive, right? You're just a child, Scott. You're just a child. I mean, this is what he's talking about, some things here that are important. It's like you can't even call the Corinthians mature because they're in the flesh, Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still in the what? Flesh, natural thinking, human. You're, you're just acting like anybody else. For a while, there is jealousy. Watch this, divisions again. Oh, man, it just continues on for the Corinthian church. There's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Where's the supernatural? Where's the spirit of the Lord? There's a descent into a natural way of living. A natural, it's flesh, it's flesh, it's flesh. God help us as a church not to be in the flesh. Is this something that we desire as a church? Do you, why, do you want to know why there's wars and there's quarreling among you, James says? Because you're flesh. Who are those people that had a little bit of a, a battle before church or maybe this past week maritally? Anybody? You're not going to raise your hand on this one again, right? You're going to be like, eh, I'm not going to do that. Flesh. It's flesh. It's in the church of Jesus. A descent into natural living. I'm just going to, it's all going to be natural. It's all going to be just on this earth. It's earthly living. We don't want just earthly living. We want supernatural. We want heavenly living. That's what we want at Harvest Reading. Churches are in the flesh. They're in the flesh. I had a friend of mine in a very large church, and uh, he was leading music and different things, and so he got the behind the scenes of some of these meetings that these pastors were having. Get this, this shocked me. I was a new believer at the time, very young in the Lord. I said, what were those meetings like? I mean, just behind the scenes, man, godliness and people seeking the face of God, you know, and, and just really walking in the spirit. And he says, you know what? Those meetings were horrible. I said, what do you mean they were horrible? Man, there were four-letter words flying around. And they weren't L-O-V-E. And it wasn't K-I-N-D. It was words that started with an F. In an evangelical Christian church, very well known all across the country. If I told you what that church was, you would be in shock. What is happening there? Flesh. Earthly living. Aren't you acting like merely human? We're supposed to be acting spiritual and, and just living in the spirit and hearing the spirit and not grieving the spirit and being led by the spirit. Are you in agreement with that? We can't descend 
into a natural way of living. I'm going to close. If the worship team would come up. I don't know if you knew this. I might have quoted this before. 3,500 churches close their doors every year. All because of battles and war, civil wars. Battles over agendas and power and control and reputation. And You know what happens there? God leaves. God leaves. We pray before services. We call it a huddle. We were out there. It was awesome. We have, we have a great huddle, great team of volunteers. And so one of our prayers is, God, would you come attend this church? Would you come here to Harvest Reading? And, and we pray that he walks here. And he's like, man, this is awesome. This is a healthy church. These people are seeking my face. They're not perfect people. None of us are, but they're seeking my face. We need God to stay here. And when the church becomes a battlefield, do you know what happens more often than not? God says, that's it, I'm leaving. I'm not staying in this church. I can't stay here. And I want God to stay here, right? Not that he's not in any other church. It's not like only Harvest Redding gets God. You know, we're not, we don't believe that. But churches that want to be healthy and, and God-centered and God-glorifying and centrality of the gospel and walking in the spirit, we're all for that. The churches are battlefields all across the nation. And we're, we're an army. God is raising up an army here. He is raising up an army. When we were in Chicago, I was in the spirit, and I was just worshiping and hearing the voice of the Lord. And, and one of the speakers said something about a wind going through a city. And, and all of a sudden, I got this picture in my mind of Redding. It was like I could see the spirit moving through Redding, and the spirit was moving things out of the way, like corruption was going out of the way, and sin and, and all these things. It was just like moving through the, spirit, or through the city. And I'm like, God, that's you. That's you. And God is raising up Harvest Redding. There's a wave, a tsunami that's building. And I believe that we're going to ride this thing. We're going to crest it. And it's going to go right into the city. And we're going to see domestic violence lowered. We're going to see addictions lowered. We're going to see marriages healed. We're going to see people born again. We're going to see people healed. I really believe that's going to happen. That's not schmooze. It's not me just trying to be a coach or a cheerleader. I really have a conviction over that. But God has to stay here to do that. We're an army. Can we all stand to our feet? We are an army of voices. We're not a thousand tongues, but we're going to be a thousand tongues by God's grace. An army singing and praising and following him and doing things in the power of the Spirit that only can be attributed to him. Listen, I was on a prayer walk with Free, which is an awesome ministry that we're partnering with about human trafficking and rescuing women from the streets. Man, it was awesome. And we were walking on those streets, very difficult places around downtown. And we're saying, God, you can show up here. You are showing up. Do something. We were crying out to the Lord. There's about 15 or 20 of us there. But God is raising up an army of voices. We got about 150 tongues now. But can you imagine a thousand tongues singing his praise? to the one who is worthy to be sung to. Amen? Are you with me on the back row there? Wave with me. If you're on the back row, Tito, are you with me, man? Yes, we're a thousand tongues strong. This is down the road. But for now, we got about 150. And God is raising up an army. This is warfare. This isn't for the faint-hearted. This is for those who want to follow Jesus Christ, live for his glory, be filled with the Spirit, Keep the gospel central, right? Don't exalt man, exalt Jesus Christ. And don't descend into the flesh. 
Can we sing his praise? Lift your hands to him. Guys, lift your hands to him. Let's worship him as we sing this song.